Okay, today is Monday, May 18th, 2020. For the past five weeks, every sports consumer in the U.S. has had their eyes glued to the rearview mirror. Michael Jordan's Last Dance documentary has captivated the sports-starved entertainment market. For two hours every Sunday, Americans have been removed from the quarantined, mask-wearing, digital 2020s and fired back into an age of culturally adored sports figures. Larger-than-life icons who are treated like massive suit-wearing Pearl Jam soundtrack rock stars in the age of simpler times, the 1990s. Michael Jordan's 10-year domination and control of the NBA has provided a stark juxtaposition to the helpless reality sports fans currently find themselves facing. I'll tell you what, last dance motivation is a real thing, and we're here to attest to it. My name is Dingo, and this is The Dingo Show on the Quick Takes Podcast Network. I'm joined today by Cole from the BCT Sports Podcast. Cole, hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me here. Very excited to be on this podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a longtime caller into your radio show, BCT Sports, hosted by Taylor Chamberlain, Cole, and Bill Hayden. Yeah, Dingo's uh, really laid his mark on the BCT Sports show. He's a weekly caller, calls in with a bunch of hot takes, and I'm sure this podcast will have no shortage of those. Right. So no more. This is quick takes. Let's jump into it. Last Dance as a whole, Cole. As our intro just said, I want to keep in mind this is a Michael Jordan documentary, right? Mm -hmm. They put this together. This was about him. I know the title has a ring to it about the 97 Bulls, 98 Bulls, but this is an MJ documentary meant to highlight him first, not necessarily meant to highlight everyone else. However, let's start this jumping into someone else. Episode 9 and 10 just came out last night. Scottie Pippen has been a constant character in this uh, in this episode not necessarily displayed in you know the positive light all the time couple knocks against scotty early on one the migraine game you could see when they interviewed michael jordan he starts to get a little antsy about that guy like him is inhuman can't necessarily relate to <laughs> scotty pippen like that mm-hmm. after that scotty pippen 1996 was it four or three something like that it's his own time he goes to jump in and he leads the team all the way to the playoffs. And unfortunately, boom, they, he doesn't want to jump in the game at the last minute there. Instead, they give it to Kukoc. Kukoc takes the shot, hits it. They go down. Scotty left him hanging. Meanwhile, I'm not going in high detail into this, Cole, mm-hmm. because the main narrative behind this is that he seems to kind of leave the team down when they need it, no matter. But every time they say that, oh, Scotty's always been there for the team, my question to you is this How many times? Do you get to let the team down like that or not show up before they have to before they're allowed to say, you know what, maybe Scottie Pippen wasn't what he wanted. Maybe Michael Jordan was lugging the team around. Time for thirty three to play through something is yes. what I was saying to you last night when they were showing that nineteen ninety eight conference finals and he he didn't step in. What's your take? So yeah, first off, it's last dance documentary in quotations. Quotations around documentary, meaning that Michael Jordan perfectly crafted this to really highlight himself as an archetype, an alpha male guy who can really just tough it out through everything. And Scottie Pippen was the fall guy in multiple situations. He was the guy that took it on the chin. He was the guy that 
surprise, surprise, had a few chinks in his armor. Whereas Jordan basically painted himself as being perfect. Beyond his gambling issues, which he expertly glossed over, Scottie Pippen was the fall guy. And speaking to the situation where he sat out and everyone was just like, wow, that's really lonesome to do that. And and then with the back issues in the um, the final game seven against the uh, Utah Jazz in 98 there, Scottie Pippen was the fall guy in multiple situations. He showed chinks in his armor. Jordan did not. That juxtaposition between those two players goes to show how good Michael Jordan was. And that's exactly what he wanted to do in this documentary. I think Scottie Pippen is kind of like all of us in this. He's not perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we can put ourselves in that situation and be like, oh, here's us compared to him. Although that said, I don't think anybody else would have really said, you know what? This play isn't drawn up for me. I'm not going in. One thing I want to add about Scottie Pippen beyond him just sitting out that one game was the portion of the 98-97 season where he sat out the whole beginning of the year. He chose to do that, and it was because a contract that he chose to sign. Everything that he brought on to himself, every chink in his armor, besides the back pain and the migraine, was self-inflicted. Everything that denoted himself as a lesser competitor than Jordan was brought on to by himself. And strangely enough, he said, when he sat out and didn't want to play that final shot where uh, Tony Kukos made it. He said, if I were to go back in time, I wouldn't change anything. And that just just goes to show his flaw in his character there. Yeah, character flaws, I guess, there throughout. Okay, so again, this is the last dance as a whole, first segment here. What we're doing, this is a Michael Jordan documentary. We're looking at, we're removing him for a second here and looking at the last dance as a whole, other characters. The clear villain in this call was Jerry Krause, the general manager. Mm-hmm. My question to you, was he the one competitor that Michael Jordan could not defeat? Yeah, and it's because he held all the cards. He held all the strings. Him and Jerry Reisendorf basically controlled the whole deck of cards and, and interplayed everything for him. So when um, Jerry Krause came out and said this is the last season, this is the last season that um, Phil Jackson will be on the team in this as this Bulls team, as we know it, will be stuck together. And to be honest, though, Jerry Krause has been given a lot of hatred for something that I don't particularly get beyond the first two episodes. They highlighted him as a backstabber. They highlighted him in all these different lights of him not being uh, good enough to Michael Jordan. But look at the roster he put around Jordan. Look at everything that he built, right? And that's a lot of what Krause was angry at was that he wasn't getting his stars shine. Now, obviously, you got, he, he comes from the background where you have to understand that the general manager under every single circumstance does not get as much shine as the players. As Bill Belichick said, players win championships. And Krause had it the other way around. He thought executives. He thought ownership won championships. Organizations won championships. And so I find real fault in that. But beyond that, I still think Jerry Krause was an outstanding GM up until the last hour. I think he made, I think he made a lot of enemies along the way. You know, and I think that that rubbed the team the wrong way throughout the entire run. But at the same time, you got to think about it. If you're working on a team, and you're like, well, there's one guy at the top of the team who I don't really care for too much. Um, are you really going to bail out because of that? And now, look, there's a number of reasons why the team fell apart. A lot of it had to do with money, and a lot of it had to do with role players. Like any championship team who think that they're worth more and have to go elsewhere, mm-hmm. and that he, you know, he couldn't stop that. But my question with to the Michael Jordan and the team there is, look, 
just because Phil Jackson isn't coming back, you know, just because you're not going to get a shot um, handed to you at seven, right, with the team that you're with, just because you subscribe to the playground rules where, you know, we keep playing till they till we lose. Mm-hmm. We go. Let me go with who I got. That doesn't mean that you sh- you can't, you know, get through something like that. Yeah, and to Jordan's um, example at the end of the documentary, he said that if they signed everyone back for a one-year deal, and he said Pippen would take a lot of convincing for him to do that, you sign everyone back for a one-year deal, no one would say no, right? And for for that fact of the matter, I, I, I find difficulty in um, Jerry Reisendorf for him finding fault in Jerry Krause. Maybe Jerry Krause has run the gamut. Maybe he is the one that needs to be outs in one more championship I think they're really underestimating how much a singular championship can really do for a team's legacy, right? Yeah. So in hindsight, that 98-99 season was a lockout year. It was only 50 games. I think that an aging Bulls roster would really, really benefit from that. Yeah. And so obviously they didn't know that going into the season, but I, I think they really held to their guns. And it's just a game of egos, right? This whole Bulls organization from the top down was an ego game. And when they went into the season saying that this would be the last time everyone is together, they meant it. They didn't want to backtrack. They didn't want to say, well, you know what? We're, we bark a lot, but we don't know how to bite, right? They wanted to build up the reputation that what they say is the law. And in today's NBA, Dingo. Well, wait a minute. Why did Reinstorf at the end of the season go back to Phil Jackson and say, you know, you can have your job back? Because uh, Phil Jackson has an ego. He's like, you bashed me this whole season. You led me through the media gamut only for us to win everything, which you knew we would. And then come back and say, you know what? You did so well and it's financially irresponsible for us to cut ties at you at this time. That doesn't make sense. And then Jerry Reisendorf then comes out and says that Phil Jackson didn't want to rebuild the team. Would you blame the guy? (laughs) Would you blame the guy? He's got so many other options. Obviously, he went on to the Lakers and won five championships for them, but- He's got so many other options to paint him as the black cat in the situation is not is not responsible. Why would he owe anything to this team to stick around for a rebuild? He doesn't owe him that. That reminds me of the Doc Rivers thing. Doc Rivers did not want to be a part of a rebuild with the Celtics. So he jumped to Clippers. Scott's in the car. Scott, yes, go ahead. They're absolutely wrong that Jerry Krause was the last competitor that Michael Jordan couldn't defeat. Why do you think they did this whole documentary? They did the documentary in order to prove that Michael Jordan finally got his last laugh against Jerry Krause and the Bulls. Okay, thanks, Sam. All right, that's a, that was a great call there, Scott. Well, thanks, Scott. Okay, so I guess Scott gets the last word on this segment, Cole. <laughs> Quick takes, keeping up the cadence. Let's jump into the next topic. Are sports documentaries, like The Last Dance, part of a new farewell tour? So here's an example. We have seen couple farewell tours, Dwayne Wade, mm-hmm. Kobe. David Ortiz. Uh, yeah, uh, Paul Pierce. Derek Jeter. Sure. My question to you is this. Do you think that uh, eventually these sports documentaries will be coming like the norm? People invite the cameras in for their last season and document it. Yeah, so um, information has led us to believe that Kobe Bryant let a full-access camera team in on that last season that he had. That last little parade that he had around the NBA, he had a full camera crew documenting every single piece of information, and that a Kobe documentary is in the works. I think his legacy 
and Jordan's legacy and any elite player's legacy really benefits from a documentary like this that's after everything in every relationship is healed, right? And, or hasn't healed in the situation of Jordan and Isaiah Thomas. I think that Kobe documentary, people will be kind of clamoring for it right now because the media hype on Kobe Bryant is so tense right now. But I think you'd benefit even more from it if we just wait 10 years, right? And we just see how these relationships form as time goes on. Because Jordan is an expert businessman in this perspective in that he knows the timing on when to release certain things to really keep his legacy going. Right now, LeBron is at the pinnacle of his career. He just went over to Lakers. He was leading them into a heck of a season. Probably would have won the championship in my eyes, right? Really cementing his legacy. MJ, right after the finals, was going to just come up with this documentary to completely push LeBron's legacy aside and say, you know what, this is what I did. Oh, I didn't even know the timeline was like that. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you say it that way. So my question to you is, I know we're already kind of sick of these farewell tours. I mean, I remember the Ritu spec thing and that thing, just the worst thing ever, how, how long that was. My question is, you, I'm going to run through a couple of athletes here. Okay. And I want you to give me your thoughts on if they'll have one, if you'll watch it. <laughs> and then finally, at the end of all this, I'm going to ask you how long before you get sick of these things. Yes. Okay. So... First one on my list was Kobe, which you already said. You, you said yes. Yes, and I think the time span has to be no less than 10 years. LeBron. Yes, and I think the time stamp on that one is actually shorter in that five years because he needs all the help he can get. What do you mean help? He needs help in the fact that, look at Kobe Bryant cements way more of a history because he, he progressed that Mamba mentality, a whole aspect of it. Jordan obviously had the Jordan brand. What's LeBron have? Outside of basketball, what does LeBron have? Oh, he's got an amazing story about how the cameras were on him since he was 14 years old. Yes, right? And that needs to be cemented in a shorter period of time as compared to Kobe, who still, or MJ, who still has an active line of what they are, you know? And the question is this. I mean, you look at it like this. He's also done a lot of good things off the court, Mm -hmm. LeBron has. So you wonder if there'll be a narrative about that. It won't be necessarily about the last dance, the last season. could be more of a holistic look. And with that, speaking of the holistic look, and maybe someone who didn't have cameras on them in their last go-around. We don't know. But how about this? Dwayne Wade. Yeah, Dwayne Wade I find a very interesting character because he's always been uh, a second fiddle in the operation of winning a championship. You look at LeBron, you look at Shaquille O'Neal. He was always a lesser talent but really pushed the team over the edge into winning and becoming a championship-caliber team. I think Dwayne Wade is a very charismatic personality. I think he could really benefit from a documentary. Would I watch it? Yes. I tend to like Dwayne Wade as a person. So, yes, that would be yes. All right, so next, following on him, you just mentioned him, Shaquille O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Shaq, that would be very interesting just for the fact that so many people forget how dominant he was in um, Orlando and also the Los Angeles Lakers. I think not just me, but I think everyone would just love the whole Shaq documentary because he went beyond Jordan of just when the cameras are on, he would he would interact with them, but he brought the cameras to him. You, you had Shaq Diesel. You had, you had Shaq Fu. You had so many different sides of uh, Shaquille O'Neal and how he expressed himself in a marketing standpoint that it would be very, very interesting. Okay, so now here's a holistic look. Do you think that, um, you know, outside of basketball that we'll see this, mm-hmm. these documentaries? And if so, would athletes and, you know, take this any sport? So I, I think Tiger Woods would be immensely interesting because there's so much controversy that surrounds him, really. 
and and how elite of an athlete he was. So I'm going through the aspect of this. I'm going to watch all these documentaries because I like sports so much. It's just a variance of how successful they would be. Michael Jordan went into the microcosm that we are in quarantine. No one has anything to do but watch this because everyone loves sports. So it's going to get huge ratings just on ESPN alone and also when it goes into Netflix in a month's time. So people are just going to love it no matter what. I really think that athletes are going to benefit from this on a legacy standpoint, like a Tiger Woods, like a Phil Mickelson, maybe even Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady had the Facebook documentary miniseries that was outstanding, not from a contents perspective, but from how many people watched it, that was an outstanding number. So there's always going to be a market for those players that have an inside look. People have been writing books about success on and off the court, documentaries of the new wave. Sports stars, movie stars, uh, rock stars, they all live such different lives than than the average mm-hmm. human here. So, of course, yeah, you're interested to hear about anything that they do. It's just so unique and so different that it, it's like you can't even yeah. fathom any of that stuff. Dingo, I have, I have a question for you. When I mentioned Tom Brady there in his Facebook documentary, do you see him in having a whole encompassing look on what it was like inside the Patriots and what it was like for the for Tom Brady in any of those Super Bowl runs? Do you think that would get more views or less views than the Last Dance documentary? Oh, that's a tough one. I got to say, I honestly think it would be less. Mm-hmm. I honestly do. Just And the only reason why would be because the Bulls, I feel like, were more of a culturally broad phenomenon than the, the Patriots were more of a regional obsession and a national hatred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's very <laughs> but, true. But, um, you know, you do bring up an interesting point. If the cameras were around, which we know that they weren't, around <laughs> Belichick's team and inside the whole Patriots organization, you know, less so... Obviously, Brady is a key cog in that, mm-hmm. but I, about all the Patriots organization, I think that would be fascinating. So, yeah, I think you just mentioned that we knew or we know the cameras are not around in the Patriots' whole organization. So my side of it is that he's got a new beginning going on in Tampa Bay. Bring the cameras into Tampa Bay. Control that. Because I want a Tom Brady year removed from the Patriots this is what he's like, and this is the closest comparison we can have to him as a Patriot. Yeah, I wonder if that'll be... Um... I mean, I wonder if that'll be, you know, as natural as how the last answer would be or if it'll be more uh, scripted because of this. Well, I I think that's what the last dance does so so well is that it blurs the line between scripted and what actually happened. That's why at the beginning of this podcast, I said the last dance documentary in quotations around documentary because this is all curtailed to Jordan's legacy. Right. And so I, I view that the Tom Brady could do the same thing. But. This whole documentary did such a good job of formulating an argument of why Jordan was so great, but not thrusting it upon you as being like, this is just an, an anvil over my head right here of, of just pure Jordan propaganda. That said, what was your favorite part of that documentary? My favorite part of that documentary was the beginning, when Jordan was really struggling as a younger athlete in the league, because that's really not a story we really know. We know about the six championships. But what led up to there, we don't really know about. We never really got a good understanding of his relationship with Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, and the Dream Team stuff. That was very interesting. Second part of that was his whole rebuilding his NBA body when he was going into Space Jam. That was very cool. I think my favorite parts were being able to see how comparatively good the other teams were that he was actually competing against. And like the old, you know, the classic NBA formula, there's a team that's good for a number of years. Eventually, a team starts to catch up. They cut the team that's good right now, cuts that team down for a couple years in the playoffs. Eventually, though, 
that team that's been getting cut down overcomes that team, you know, and wins the championship. Good example of this would be LeBron kept losing against the Celtics, and eventually, you know, he joined up in Miami and took over them, and then, um, you know, the rest is rest is history there. But my favorite part was being able to see about how Jordan had um, played against those other teams earlier in his career, but my whole thing was to see how good those other teams were. Yes, he had 63 points against the Celtics in the um, 1986, but that speaks to how good that 1986 Celtics team was. They swept the Bulls, <laughs> right? I mean, he scored 63 points and lost, just like when Devin Booker scored yeah. 70 and lost to Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's that's a very interesting aspect you brought up. But I I think Jordan really did an interesting job of showing how integral Phil Jackson was as a coach in this whole situation and how Phil Jackson actually had to control a lot of egos. I was on the wagon that Phil Jackson was just such a highly touted coach because he had players like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Shaq, right? But also you could use that against it. He's like, he had such a harder job because he had to control those three massive egos, you know? I don't know. I wonder what Belichick would say that. Because he, you quoted him earlier as saying players win championships. I think that um, you always, it's always good to have good talent. <laughs> Definitely helpful. All right, so what we're going to do here is get into here on the Dingo Show the final word. It's not sponsored, but the whole show <laughs> is brought to you by Quick Takes. Final word today is a warning for baseball. Wow, what a uh, what a what a transition there. <laughs> so my warning for baseball is that people love narratives. Don't fall into this if you are the Major League Baseball. You have a golden opportunity right now. No other teams are playing. No other sports are playing. Opportunity for you to at least get half the season in. Instead, as we sit here on May 18th, 2020, there's a huge labor dispute. And they're talking about, well, we need players are going to have to sacrifice a third of their salary in order to get the season up and running. And high-profile players are saying, no, we don't want to do this, right? We don't want to sacrifice our money. My take is be careful of the narrative. Americans love a narrative. How, how it goes is you start, you know, you're kind of a new guy on the block. They love you. They watch you. This is, you know, back, this mm-hmm. is back 100 years ago. Amer- baseball becomes America's pastime. Mm-hmm. Eventually, after that, they have their glory days. We all root and cheer for them. And then you have your falling out. You have your falling out, and eventually it ends. We saw the same thing with... You know, believe it or not, talking about the last dance, saw the same thing with MJ. He was loved coming up. Everyone loved him. Eventually, he had a falling out where he had his gambling issues and he had to leave. And, you know, that you know that's the narrative. They build you up, then they love to see you fall. Warning to baseball, don't let this happen. The NBA is flirting with the idea of starting the season next December and rolling it through August. You know what that would do for baseball? Kill it. That would be terrible for the game. Time to be flexible, time to adapt. Don't fall into the narrative. Change the brand a little bit. Adjust the game. Love to watch it. Get it fired up and ready to go. All right, any final thoughts for you on that? Baseball needs to watch the narrative that they're painting right now. They're already in a dangerous waters for viewership going down drastically even the past five years. So, baseball, time to step up to the plate. Time to take actions into your own hands. Come to an agreement. We saw it on Friday. They came out with new COVID-19 contingency plan. It allowed players to come back. They looked at Korean Baseball League that has come back. So what does this mean for baseball going forward? You can't spit anymore. Boo-hoo. You have to control and clean everything and everywhere. Boo-hoo. Make it happen. Make baseball the thing of the summer because no other sport can do it. So make it happen. That's what I have to say to baseball. 
Okay. Thank you, Cole. Thanks for joining here on the first episode of the Dingo Show, sponsored by Quick Takes. Honored to have this opportunity. With that, we look forward to you next time. All right, this concludes our first episode of the Dingo Podcast. Make sure to listen to more Quick Takes content on Spotify. Follow that. Also, we're on Instagram. Make sure to follow the Quick Takes page on the gram. Get that follower number up. Tomorrow we have the Hoop Scoop with Mr. Romaine diving deep into some NBA talk. Be sure to listen. See you later. Dingo! Dingo!